Welcome to Off the Beat, the podcast that discusses all things law enforcement from a cop's point of view. My name's DJ Seals. I'm a former detective, crime analyst, and SWAT operator from the Metro Atlanta area. I currently work for Motorola as a law enforcement consultant, but this podcast will never be about product or sales, and that I promise you. You know, I came up with this idea because I wanted to have a place where we could have a conversation about current police issues without you, my listener, well, quite frankly, feeling like they were in a sales pitch. I wouldn't listen to that, and I'm sure you wouldn't either. So, let's take a look at today's topic. Training. Hmm. You know, I was actually at a training conference uh, this week here in Atlanta, so that was pretty easy, just driving back and forth. And I was thinking to myself, you know, training is core to so many industries, internal, external, product training, customer training, dealing with public training. I mean, it's training everywhere. And I thought to myself, I wonder what the state of training is in our law enforcement academy specifically. I mean, we could get into talking about uh, training after you become a cop, how much, you know, we, we've all met those folks that just do the minimum, right? Depending on your state. Oh, I've got to do my 20 or 25 hours to keep my mandate. I'm going to take the uh, easiest stuff and then I'm done. There are those others that, that look for things to expand their capabilities and their intelligence, but we're not going to get into that today. We're going to talk about the academies themselves. So first, let me offer you something. No, 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 no. It's not about sales, but, but follow me here. Let's say that I have the latest, greatest police invention. I mean, the greatest thing since a, a handcuff key with a light on it. And any of us who've ever worked at night know handcuff keys with lights on them are just they're fantastic. So let me explain what this is. It's uh, it's a firearm. You go, oh gosh, here he goes. He's going to talk about firearms. Yeah, yeah, I am. We're in law enforcement. We can we can all you know talk about firearms safely. But we're going to talk about that for a minute. So let me explain this firearm. This particular firearm, okay, is unlike any firearm you've ever seen in your life, guaranteed. This firearm can only be used, unholstered, and or fired by the registered officer. Whatever officer owns that firearm is the only one that can handle it. Won't even come out of the holster. You can't even pull the trigger unless you're the officer. You go, yeah, well, we've kind of heard about something like that. But wait, but wait, there's more, right? So, so this firearm, though, never misses. Never. N never misses. It's so intelligent, it only fires when legally applicable. No, no accidental discharge. No, uh, uh, you know, officer not thinking straight being a, a, a dunce and getting us all in trouble, <clears throat> if you know what I mean. No, no, no. This one only fires when legally authorized and legally applicable. So it knows the situation. How? Oh, I don't know. L l let's call it um, uh, 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 machine learning, right? Fancy word. 
better yet. So, so it, it never misses. So your, your, your qualifications, 100 every time. Officer safety, 100 every time. Citizen safety, 100 every time. The other thing, the latest, greatest here, check this out. We just added this. It only can be used against the assailant it's intended for. That's right. That's right. It, you know, hopefully you never have to use it, but if you do, it'll only affect the person that it's intended for. That's right. No more misses. No more uh, accidentally uh, damaged property or, 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 or hurt a citizen. None of that. All gone. Think about this. Legal cases, lower, right? Officer complaints, lower. Peace of mind, higher. So who wouldn't want something like this, right? Now, some of you are like, oh, this is, this is junk. Yes, it is. I'm making it up. We don't really have that. I don't have that. But let's say I did. Would you at least be interested in it? Yes, of course you would. And if I could prove that it worked, you would be lining up. Here's the caveat, though. Since it's unlike any pistol you've ever seen, it's going to need a very skilled armorer at your department. Very particular. Just, just not like anything you've ever seen. So you're going to have to have somebody who knows how to take care of these. And of course, since, again, it's, it's totally new, you probably want to train your officers, right? Well, here's the deal. We just don't have that. Yes, in, in my fictitious company <laughs> that makes uh, uh, firearms from the 45th century, um, we, we just don't do that. We're not going to train your armor. We're not going to train your cops. We're just going to hand them to you and go, good luck. Now who's up for this? Oh, hopefully none of you. So I say that to say this. You know, we have fantastic intentions. I really do believe that. I, I work with so many police agencies. We have fantastic intentions when it comes to the core of what we do. But so many times, and I've, I've seen it at agencies I've worked with. I like, I'd like to tell you I haven't seen it at my own, but we, we, we've all done it. Where we go, we want to do this new thing, right? We want this new piece. Training? We don't have time for that. Training? We don't need it. We can figure it out. We're smart people. Yes, of course we are. But let's talk about training. Why do we need it? Beyond the, well, so we can use that properly and do it properly. That which should be the obvious. Let's talk about the ramifications of not training. So I was a detective for a long time. And, and I can tell you, every time I went to court w without fail, whether it was uh for detectives, you know, maybe pick, picking up uh, evidence, interviewing a suspect. Uh, if I had to testify in a case uh, from from our SWAT team, the very first question beyond the "Are you a mandated officer in this county?" and "Yes, I am." Beyond that, it was, "And tell us your certifications to make you an expert in this piece. What is your training?" And and I told them, "Why did they ask that?" They want to legally set us apart from somebody who's just figuring it out. They want to legally make us a, a quasi, and I don't want to use this word too heavily, but a quasi expert 
right? That we know what we're doing. They want to set that in stone. How do you do that? Well, you train, you become certified in whatever it is. And I think about that a lot when I hear, uh, you know, I might go to an agency. Oh, you're doing, oh, that's fantastic. So who here is, uh, is the head on this? Oh, that person, they're, they're, they're leading this, this initiative. Fantastic. So tell me about your background in this. Tell me what you know already. And, and I'm, I'm not trying to sling mud here. I'm just speaking the truth. But nine times out of 10, I get, uh, you know, the chief really wanted to do this. So uh, I'm doing it. So what, what have you learned? Uh, what do you mean? Classes, certification, digging in, what, what do you, um, on the job, man, on the job training, on the job. You know, so, okay. So some things we can do that, right? Some things we learn from our field training officers, some things we learn through experience, like, well, don't do that again. But what I'm speaking about is the, the changes in our department, the major things that could a get us in trouble if we screw it up. Right. So I thought, surely there's got to be some data on this because I have thoughts because of you know, experience and, and moving around and, and working with agencies. But but are my thoughts correct? And I, I thought about that. And so I did some research and I I went in and I found a document from the Bureau of Justice Statistics. Um, and, and it was a it was a sampling they did uh, over two years of six hundred and sixty four training academies within the United States, 664, uh, totaling 135,000 recruits in two years. That's a whole nother topic, isn't it? Like 135,000. It blew me away because I thought I've never spoken to an agency who said, we have plenty of cops. Every, well, we got all we can handle. There's apparently a lot of people that want to be, <laughs> you know, over about 65, 67,000 a year. But, but nonetheless, so 664 training academies, 135,000 recruits. And it's, it's kind of a long document. You can look it up. It's, it's really nice. It's got tons of information, some of which we're not going to get into today. We're going to focus on this training academy, right? How do we start our officers? I'm a big believer in, you know, we used to say this in SWAT, you, you train like you fight, you fight like you train, right? If you don't train for real then when the real comes, you won't be prepared for it. I'm a very big believer in that. And so I thought, okay, let's start with who are the trainers? I'm not going to give an opinion on this. I'm going to give you the data. Draw your own opinion. So the instructors at these academies, 34% uh, of them have some type of a, a degree, some, some college degree. So 34% have a college degree. The, the, the shocking one to me, though, was the average law enforcement experience um, quota, if you will, to become an instructor at an academy was 4.1 years. So the average instructor at these 664 academies all across the United States have an average experience on the job of 4.1 years. Now, I found that interesting because most agencies I've worked with, my own agency, you're you're not considered even eligible to be a a corporal or a sergeant or get any type of uh, promotion or elevation until you're after two years, because that two years is kind of figured out as, hey, you you still you, know, you still, we want 
to see a little bit more. You're, you're getting your feet under you, right? Uh, I mean, some of the FTO programs I've seen are, I mean, I've worked with one agency, the FTO program was almost a year. So 4.1 years on average. Some have more, some have less. Average 4.1 years. So I thought to myself, let's go back to these, let's go back to these recruits. 135,000 of them. Where are these 135,000? And again, that's over two years. So, but we're still talking, you know, between 60 and 70,000 a year. Where are these guys and gals? We need them. And according to the statistics, 86% of those who entered the academy completed the academy. Good. What about the other 14%? I thought to myself, what happened to them? Why didn't they make it? I know. First thing I thought, maybe the first thing you thought is they just realized through the academy, this wasn't for them. This, this is not my bag. I am out, right? And actually, that was the number one reason, a voluntary um, quitting, if you will. I'm done. So 35% of those who did not make it said, I'm just done. For whatever reason, I'm done. However, the number two was academic. Could not make the academic constraints. 22.5% of academy dropouts, and that's the word they use, so I'm going to use it. 22.5% were for academic, followed by 13.1% because they couldn't make the physical standards. Now, uh, the physical standards are um, an, an interesting, and again, maybe another topic to spin off on, because this, this document also talked about, uh, briefly, talked about the difference between the, the military-style academy and the, what, what I would call the college style academy show up in shorts and a t-shirt and we all go to Burger King for lunch. I went to a military style academy. Okay. Um, so I'm partial to it. Never experienced a college style academy, but, but nonetheless, 13.1% are physical. Most of those did come from the military style academies, but the most important thing to remember here is 22.5% dropped out for academic. Okay. Let's just, just put that in your head for a moment. So now let's get into what we're training. So before I get into that, would you agree? Kind of odd to ask a question on a podcast when I can't hear you answer, but would you agree <laughs> that policing is more technological today, more technology across the entire department today than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 15, 20, of course. I would almost say that it's got more technological advancements across the board about every six months to a year. I mean, think about it. Think about all the stuff we've added. Uh, you know, you go from a, a, a ticket book in a metal, in a metal case <laughs> that sometimes didn't make it through a year. You know, you get to 50, book, 50 tickets in a book or whatever, and it, it, it's a pen, right? Well, but some of you were listening to me and going, no, not us. <clears throat> yeah, we've moved to electronic ticketing. We just hit a button. All right, well, hold on to that. Electronic ticketing. Well, that's kind of a computer way to do it. What about your reports? What about your the way you receive a call for service? When I started, it was 246. Go ahead, radio. Respond to da 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 You got it, right? I didn't say you got it. Well, sometimes I did, but nonetheless, so, but it was all by radio. Most agencies don't do it all by radio anymore. Now it's computer aided dispatch, right? We've got a, a computer in the car, which I think is kind of funny because it's like, 
you know, citizen, don't be on your cell phone. Officer, take a call on the, on the computer sitting next to you in a mount. You know, it's funny because when we first went to that, we actually had to do quite a bit of training. <laughs> Unfortunately, we didn't do it at the tip of the spear. We did it after a couple of, uh, we'll call incidents, but it's a different thing to be driving down the road, right? And your computer beeps or whatever your program does. And you look over and you got a call and you clear yourself uh, in route. Well, were you, were you looking at the road at the time? No. And I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm saying that is a training shift, right? Many of you can probably say, hey, I remember when that happened. And we were running off the road. We were knocking into each other, taking out light poles. It happens, but there's a training shift there. Analytics. Let's go to analytics for a minute. A lot of us started doing analytics by hand. Oh, yes, we became math nerds. You know, we became fantastic uh, with, with, with uh, mapping and drawing, and, and, but we were doing it by hand. Now, most analysis is done with some type of computer program, right? Technology is here for policing. And, and I'm saying that way too late. Technology has been here for policing. My question and my focus on that was, are we preparing our recruits for that shift? Now, let me make a caveat real quick. I am a SWAT guy. I'm 100% about the safety of the citizens, the safety of the officer. I want my officers to go home at night. I want that physical safety. I want them to be able to protect themselves. So I'm all about the, the, the situational awareness and, and defensive tactics and, of course, firearms. We have to be proficient in that. It is a deadly weapon. We make sure we, we use it uh, to the best of our ability and training so that we're smart, right? And we don't injure anybody that, well, that it doesn't need it, but you know what I mean. But the, the point being is we train all kinds to make sure that we are focused in a situation like that on the bad person, the person that is the aggressor, the person that is hurting people, we have to stop them. And that's a lot of physical, whether it's hands-on, whether it's a electrical uh, weapon, whether it's your, your baton, your whatever, we do a ton of that. And that's fantastic. We should not stop that. But I thought to myself, where are we on technology in our academies? Many of the officers get out of the academy. You know, they, they're fantastic. They, they were, they were the, um, you know, the, the honor graduate, they, whatever the, the, the awards you might have in your academy, this is a solid, solid, solid rookie, right? But how many of you seen come out and you get a computer in front of them and you get other things, the, te the technology of it in front of them and they go, whew, they're behind, right? I give my agency props. Um, they thought, and, and they were right at the time because one of the dropout rates was for firearms. Can't qualify, don't graduate, right? And uh, our academy we went to was pretty stringent about that. You you had one. <laughs> you you had one. Now you had a lot of you had a lot of let's try this, let's let's practice, let's make sure we're right. But when it came to the test, you had one. You passed that or you're out. You could come back, but you're out. You're in remedial. My agency stepped up. And they said, you know, before we send you to the academy, we're going to send you to the range and you're going to become proficient in this piece of equipment before you go. As a result, 
I, I can't remember anybody during that process that did not make it through the academy because of that. Kudos to my, at the time, range master. Okay? But how proactive are we becoming with technology? So let's get, let's get to the data. So I was looking at this and I thought, okay, all right. So I found a figure that said community policing topics and basic training programs in state and local law enforcement training academies, right? So this is community policing. So, okay, that's fantastic. How much are we doing in community policing? Now, community policing as a whole was down the line a little bit, but that's fine. But I thought, okay, what's number one in that, right? Number one is, I kid you not, I'm reading it word for word in front of me right now, any community policing topic. Thank you for your vagueness. 98% of recruits, according to this, are trained in, quote, any community policing topic. Right? I mean, what does that mean? But the second one, identifying community problems. The third one, the history of community and policing. The fourth one, interacting with youth. The fifth one, using problem-solving models. Wait a minute. Hold on. Stop. Number one, any Number two, identifying the problem. Number three, let's talk about community-oriented policing, where it came from. Number four, interacting with youth. And it took to number five for the problem solving. You say, well, you know, they're hand in hand. Oh, let's do some, let's do some math here. The number one, any, about 98%. We go all the way down to actually solving the problem, 61. 61% of time. Wait a minute. <clears throat> and I don't know, I don't want to be making people mad here, but this is just, just my spinnings, right? The spinning of my mind. And I thought to myself, so 98% in any, uh, and we, we go all the way down to just over 60% to solve it. What are we here for? We're here to make the community safer. We're here to, to solve that problem. And we're spending 60% of the time talking about the solving and 98% of the time, just uh, talking about it, right? I thought that'd be interesting. And I, I kept going on down the line, on down the line, because there's quite a few. There's like 25 things on here. And I, we get all the way down and the, all the way to the bottom, the last four, ready for this? Creating problem-solving teams. Okay. That's like 23%. Uh, wait a minute, we're lower than that. How about using crime mapping to analyze problems? Oh, there's the technology. 23%. Analyzing crime and calls for service. 22%. And applying research methods to study crime. 20%. The lowest on the list. Now, hold on. No, I'm not saying every officer needs to apply research methods to study crime. I am saying, however, it's probably important for them to know about that. How many of our chiefs, you know, put, put high weight on metrics on the crime itself? How, how are we scored, right? So I thought that one was interesting. And then, then I said, well, there's got to be more in this. And so uh, a, a little bit down from there, there was this table. And it said special topics included in basic training programs in state and local law enforcement. Special topics. I thought, ooh, special. Well, what is special? Listed under special topics, number one, 98% domestic violence. <sighs> you 
You know, I've actually been working on this topic for four weeks. Why? Because I've been chewing over it going, what? How is domestic violence a special topic? Domestic violence is what we would call a regular topic. <laughs> How many of those do we go to? And that's good. So 98% uh, of time in that area is spent on domestic violence. Good. 95% on mental illness. Fantastic. 90% crimes against children. Oh, this is great. We should know these things. Wait a minute. Let's go all the way down to the bottom of the list. 64% human trafficking. Hum, human trafficking. Now, human trafficking, the, the, the biggest function of human trafficking right now is an internet crime. It really is. I mean, that, that, that bought, sold, traded, uh, even recruited uh, via internet and social media. So 64%. So we're learning about that 64%. Okay, well, at least it's 64%. But the very bottom of the list is understanding cyber and internet crimes. Man, those are on the rise. How many of those do you get? Tons, right? So only 57% of the academies train on cyber and internet crimes. You say, well, okay, well, 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 maybe they're doing a lot of training. No, that, that, that actually accounts for three total hours. And in this case, it was a 14-week academy. Three hours in identifying and understanding cyber and internet crimes. So, wait a minute. So, so far in these two tables, the technology of policing, it's at the bottom. So, again, I was like, oh, man, this is this is taking the wind out of my sails a little bit here. I, I, I think that's just really where we need to be focusing. So, wait a minute. There was a box on terrorism. Oh, let's take a look at that. Terrorism-related topics, right? So, let's talk about terrorism-related topics. Number one, you know, I wish I had a friend at the BJS because number one, you'll remember this very clearly, is literally any topic related to terrorism. <sighs> over 90%. So over 90% of the academies taught, quote, any topic related to terrorism. I love those catch-alls. And, and, you know, then we get incident management, uh, understanding the nature of terrorism, uh, response to weapons of mass destruction. Okay, good, 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 good. Wait a minute. Let's go to the bottom of the list. We have a pattern here, don't we? Dead last is the intelligence analysis to identify terrorism before it occurs. You say, what's the percentage on that, DJ? I'm interested in percentages. 18%. 18% of recruits are trained on how to identify somebody who might be planning this. And how do we identify that? Most of the time, not all the time, most of the time, some type of internet threat, some type of technology threat. So again, technology seems to be at the bottom of the list. And so I thought, okay, you know, DJ, you love your academies. And I do. I love my academies. I teach at some of them. And, and you go, you love your cops. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. You know what? Maybe we don't have the equipment to do it. That's it. I figured it out. It's equipment. We don't have that. Ooh, okay. I'm, uh, maybe I'll talk about that. Let's, let, let's, let's do a ground, a grassroots effort on how to get academies more technology and computer equipment. Yes. Until I got to the bottom of this report, and it was a report on the facilities available at these training academies. Now, where every stat that I focused on so far is literally at the bottom of the list, check this out. The number one facility available, 
8% of academies have a computer lab. 70% have internet and online classes. 52% have a media lab. 52% have satellite information service. 49% have mobile data terminals. 33% have video conferencing. 28% use tablets. That, those are all number one right there, right on the list. Black and white. In this case, black, white, and red. But the point being is, wait a minute, so is my whole theory wrong? We, we, we seem to have the technology in our academies, but, but when it comes to technology training, it's always at the bottom. Hmm. I don't know, folks. You know, I, I guess this podcast wasn't a let's learn something. It was a let me pose a thought to you. Because it, it, it brought up so much thought to me. I mean, I in the last four weeks, I've traveled all over, and I've been looking at uh, on, on reading this on airplanes and hotel rooms and just, just pouring over this data, trying to figure this out. You know, let me, just, let me just give you a task. A task for all of us. If your agency has its own academy, see if you follow this. See if... Your data is the same here. Now, don't don't go running in there with your hair on fire, you know, you making enemies. But it's important. Think about all the technology you're adding every day to your policing regime, whatever that may be. Think about it, and and then take an honest, hard look at your academy. I hope many of you will say. Hey, we, we don't follow that trend. God, absolutely fantastic. I love it. Thank you. But if you do, try to become the, uh, a voice with, hey, maybe we should do X. Listen, I, I know some of my, I was looking at my listeners the other day. My number one listening base are crime analysts. Fantastic. Love y'all. Right? But as I was looking, I see academies on the listening base. Academies all over the world. I challenge you, are we, are we getting our officers ready for the technology of policing? We need to get them ready for everything else too. Uh, very important, equally important, but the technology is running away from us. Are we getting them ready for that? Or are we doing them a disservice by following the numbers I just read to you? Hmm. I don't know. Something to think about. But now, let's take a look at some crazy but true police blotter stories. Now, going on our technology and training bent here, <laughs> I, I, I pulled quite a few. Boy, don't... If you want to do some reading, Google this, stupid college criminals. Yes, that's where we are today, folks. Stupid criminals in college. 42-year-old man broke into a Harvard professor's house and stole his Nobel Prize for physics. I mean, we could just, just stop there. That's dumb. What are you going to do with it? Put it on your mantle with this dude's name on it? Professor loved me so much that he gave me his Nobel Prize. But he stole his Nobel Prize for physics. Okay, so he broke in. Nobody's there. He steals it. You think, okay, he won't get caught unless he tells somebody. This guy's stupid. 
Apparently, drunk, whatever, who knows, he, he, he emptied his pockets to try to put it in uh, you know, his, his, his pockets, his jacket or something, but a receipt from a supermarket fell out of his pocket with his name on it. Yep. Two students from the University of Alabama and the University of West Georgia, and let's stop right there, folks. This one jumped out at me because I went to the University of West Georgia. Yes, yes. But anyway, two students from the University of Alabama and the University of West Georgia, Georgia and Alabama working together. Fantastic. But not for this. They were arrested trying to steal live alligators from a Florida restaurant's pond. Hmm. However, they were very safety-minded, you see. Uh, they, they brought ropes and hooks and raw chicken to try to fish the alligators out of the pond. Now, I was a little disappointed in this story because I wanted to hear more, and I'm sure you do too. I, I was really hoping they would actually have pulled one out and then had to figure out how to wrestle it without getting bitten, but there was no information on that. Either way, they were arrested. Boston University. While police were trying to help a drunk Boston University student, they asked her for her ID. Man, who are you? Where do you live? How can we help you? She produced an ID for them, but it was a fake ID she had made on a recent trip to Venezuela. Yeah. And the last one today, and I just love this one. Police found a community college student stumbling across the street in Santa Barbara, California. Well, time to do a sobriety test. So in the sobriety test, they asked him to recite the alphabet. Okay, not backwards. That's just crazy. That's that's the movies. Just just start. Let's start here. Say your alphabet. We've all done that. You know, people usually get to the LMNOP and they go LMNOP, right? Oh no, no, no. This guy, this guy's a genius. He only made it to D. That's right, D. A B C D. Threw his hands up, gave up, and said, "Oh man, this is hard." All I gotta say is, if you got kids like I do that are trying to get into college right now, don't worry too much. Why? Because these ding-dongs all made it to college. One of them was even at Harvard. Yeah, interesting. You know, as we go along this journey together, I'm gonna say some things you don't agree with. Not intentional, it's an opinion. But maybe you do agree with me. Maybe you have a topic you'd like me to cover. Or maybe like today's topic, you'd like more conversation on that or you'd like to give me your opinion i'd love to hear it you know hit me up email me at off the beat at motorolasolutions.com got a funny police story throw it on there too and check out my twitter page at dj underscore off the beat until next time stay diligent stay educated and stay safe